We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Great, two great times for him. I, I see Richie Incognito. I mean, they both have this nasty edge. They're maulers in the run game, and you think they're not going to be real good pass protection because of their feet, but they've got really solid feet. I think Hernandez is a day one starter in the NFL, and you want to get in a fight in the phone booth? That's the guy right there, Will Hernandez. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Mayock. Talking about guard prospect Will Hernandez being compared to current Bills guard, Richie Incognito. Oh, yeah, we have a ton, yeah, we a ton have, of stuff for you tonight, folks. We'll find out about Hernandez, Hernandez a little bit later Hernandez? from... Yeah, Hernandez. Yeah, I know. Hernandez a little bit later. Russ Brown. Cover1.net, Cover1 the podcast. We'll talk to him about the offensive line. And the defensive line coming up in this year's draft. And I just solidified, because we're not having a goddamn party, I just solidified my draft night plans. Let me tell you. do tell. What are you going to be doing? Instead of watching it with me, as we do annually, what are you going to be doing for the NFL draft this year? A, you're going to be in Jamaica, so my option is, well... I'll just fly to Jamaica, hang out with me in a Speedo, everything will be cool. I don't even want to leave the country, so (laughs) that's a whole nother discussion. This is what I'm doing. Night one of the draft, Thursday night. Traft, was it Traft Music Hall? Traft? Trafalgar. Traft Music Hall? Whatever's next to Shays downtown. What's next to Shays downtown? Traft. Traft. Yeah. Papa Chubby, I'll be there. My parents. Coming into town for the weekend. Oh, my dad, no. my dad's a huge fan of Papa Chubby. You're gonna be in another country, so I don't. I'm not gonna watch. It could be like uh, two years ago when we drafted Shaq Lawson. <laughs> I totally bailed on Drew's uh, draft party to go to Jack Devine's with somebody I met off of Tinder. Yeah, and I got lucky up top. Chris, it's been over a year since you got laid. Don't high five me. God. 
<laughs> Folks, we've officially reached the one-year point for Chris. Somebody help this man. Also, your draft night plans are fucking lame. You've got a lot of problems, sir. Well, you're you not here. You you're not. Work. You're not here. You're in another country. It's because literally me or your parents. That's what we've come to they, as a podcast. They called as, me as as friends. We've come to. It's me or your family. Look, that's it. That, that's all you have. Yeah. Look, my mom called me on Thursday night and was <laughs> and goes, you know how Dad likes Papa. There's some blues guitarist called Papa Chubby. And he's playing in Bob. It's how dumb. If my mother ever calls me and says, your father likes Papa Chubby. I'm going to hang up the phone. And that's it. Well, that's a wrap. No, this, this is how it's a wrap. This is you don't. No, this is how dumb they are. Because they called me. They're like, he's playing in Buffalo on that Thursday night. And then he's playing in Geneseo on Friday night. And we want to get tickets to the Geneseo show because the Buffalo show was sold out. And I go, oh, yeah. Oh, I was like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Uh, where's he playing at, at Geneseo? And they're telling me all about the Geneseo show, and I'm on Ticketmaster Googling Papa Chubby Buffalo. And when my mom finishes her sentence, I go, I'm on Ticketmaster. I'm one click away from buying tickets to the Buffalo show. You don't know how to use technology. His show in Buffalo is not <laughs> sold out. Learn how to use technology. Go get tickets to his Buffalo show. We'll go to that because Drew's going to Jamaica because some idiot decides to get married draft weekend. Folks, this is how desperate things have gotten for Chris. Instead of watching the draft with other people, he's decided to go hang out with his Who mother and father. Who am I going to watch it with? At I don't somebody like, called Bob. Something I don't like involving anyone. what sounds like erections. Guys, I don't even know what to say about this anymore. We're going to move on, and we're going to hit this week's Bill's News Update. This week, the owners and head coaches met for one of their yearly league meetings. And usually when this happens, it's customary that they all get together and they talk about ratifying changes to the rules. Now, I'll say this. Out of everything that they have going on for them, the one thing they have is that they're pretty much the boss. We make the rules, not you. Having said that, I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of rule changes that honestly reflect the fact that they acknowledged that 2017 sucked balls from an officiating standpoint. Look, as long as they change that catch rule, because that that was just egregious. Well, this is it. Sometimes when you when you think about changes to the rules of how football gets played, sometimes they're made simply because the league wants to experiment. I mean, that's evidenced by their constant tweaking of the overtime rules over the course of the last three or four years. Other times they change things because they've gathered information that makes them believe that they can make moves that will make players safer. Kind of like what we've seen with the kick return rules. But other times those rule changes come because either a team found a loophole and abused it or something was blatantly obvious to fans everywhere is being officiated poorly and the league has no response to it other than to change the rule to react to that. And from the looks of it, the latter seems to be in vogue. I mean, Chris, you, the first words out of your mouth were the catch rule. That is the rule that's going to get the most press. I mean, that's it. Well, Everyone I, I, is I, angry about the catch rule. Well, I, I go to the Jesse James catch before I go to Calvin Benjamin. Like that Jesse James catch for the touchdown mm-hmm. against New England at the end of the season, 
which ultimately ended up being what home field advantage was. I mean, Pittsburgh didn't get far because <laughs> Pittsburgh they didn't get lost. That far. You lost to Blake Bortles, but that Jesse Jesse, Jesse James touchdown was egregious. That should have been a touchdown. Egregious. You just sound uh, like Frank Caliendo's reenactment of Jim Rome. Arugula. Uh, <laughs> what I'll say is this: the change that has gotten the most press is the simplified catch rule. Because every fan here listening to this podcast remembers that momentum-robbing touchdown pass to Kelvin Benjamin against the Patriots. I mean, it left every fan everywhere, as well as refs, coaches, and NFL pundits around the country just scratching their heads. Nobody knew what to call it. You even heard it in the Super Bowl with the the Corey Clement touchdown. Chris Collinsworth was like, that was a makeup yeah. call for a year's worth of bullshit that went the Patriots' way. God, I just, oh my God, I just flailed I spe- so I hard. Specifically, I think I broke my forearm. Yeah, you broke it on my window, you <laughs> idiot. I specifically oh, remember. Oh, what a jerk. <laughs> I specifically oh, remember so Collinsworth saying in the Super Bowl, I have no idea what a catch is. Oh, I'm chicken winged. All right. You want my sling? No, I don't want your fucking sling because I'm not a pussy like you. All right, so ultimately, though, when you look over it, <sighs> yes, there are <laughs> there are a million nuances to the new catch rule that could complicate things, and in its early stages, it could lead to more reviews. But anybody who's bitching about it needs to just stop, because I'm pretty sure you were the same person who was screaming at the TV last year, like we were. Begging for a change. Do something differently because what's happening right now isn't working. Well, guess what? Beggars can't be choosers, so deal with it. Now, one of the most underrated changes, in my opinion, is going to be the new helmet contact rule. I mean, that's that's something where not only can a defensive player be, be penalized for making helmet-to-helmet contact, but an offensive player who puts himself purposely in harm's way. And this makes me think of Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is a running back who is very adept at burying his head at opportune moments and digging out extra yardage because people are afraid to take shots at him. Now he can be penalized for that. It changes the landscape of how current running backs play the game. And the one thing I think is I look at LaShawn McCoy. I've seen very few runs where LaShawn McCoy ever buries his head. His head is always on a swivel, and he's looking to make a cut for extra yardage. Makes Chris, you, it makes you think what's going to happen on third and three. Well, exactly. And you have Chris Ivory in the game, Short who's north-south. Like that, start, that raises a question. How will that affect play calling come the next season? I mean, that's an underrated change to the game. Because when you go to get one yard, if your running back lowers his helmet and intentionally contacts another Let's say he hits a linebacker, helmet-to-helmet. That's a 15-yard penalty. That's it, helmet-to-helmet contact. Now you're absolutely punting the ball. You're trying a Hail Mary pass, and then you're punting, and that's it. It's going to change the way football gets played. But the biggest, in my mind, is the new rule on ejections. Now, I understand that the national... The national media's attention is focused on the cheap shot by Marshawn Lattimore on Mike Evans last season. 
And they might even go to the helmet-to-helmet shot that Travis Kelsey got in the playoffs against the Titans that looked intentional but wasn't penalized. I and most Bills fans probably remember the time last season where Rob Gronkowski gave Trey White the macho man flying elbow on the sidelines and wasn't kicked out of the game. The fan outrage was overwhelming, and justifiably so. But to me, this rule change might just be taking things a little too far. And Chris, think about it in terms of this. Football is a game of context. When a play-action pass goes for a big gain or a touchdown bomb, people fall in love with the highlight reel. But it doesn't happen without the defense being conditioned to bite on 10 previous running plays. That's, that's the way personal fouls work in the NFL. It's rare that a player who's been unagitated commits an egregious personal foul. Now, I'll say this. The, the, the Gronk situation, yes, that was unprovoked. All it was was a penalty, but you can look at the context and say, well, Rob thought he was getting interfered with. Is that enough to not eject him? I don't think so. I think he should have been ejected from that game. I mean, he buried a guy who was completely defenseless. There's no way to defend that play to where Gronk stays in that game. No, exactly. He should have been ejected regardless of our homerisms. But now here's what makes me scared about this new rule. Think about the personal foul that got called against Denver during that Bills win over Denver that we thought was impossible, right? The stadium was hotter than Satan's asshole. So I don't know if maybe that contributed to it, but Von Miller offers Tyrod Taylor a hand up off the ground after a play. And then, like a middle schooler, pulls it away at the last second and laughs. But guess what? Both players were laughing about the play when they inevitably ended up on their feet. And then, out of nowhere, a flag comes flying in. A referee who was not standing right there and did not understand the, the, the context the context of the moment threw a flag that changed the course of the game because we got an extra first down and inevitably scored on that drive, which gave us the go-ahead score and we inevitably won the game. That happened because that official didn't take a second to just, I don't know, put themselves in the situation. Does there seem like there's any aggression between the two guys? Does it seem like, yeah, this one guy pulled something that's childish, but they're both having fun. They're enjoying the moment. That's a personal foul? Are you fucking crazy? The same mindset behind that call will now be behind the decision to eject players from a football game. I'm not okay with this. Anybody who thinks that's a good idea is an idiot, in my opinion. It's almost like the catch rule. The only reason that they're amending it is because the people or persons enforcing it aren't equipped or qualified to do so. So instead of educating those people on the way it should be done and then replacing the ones who can't get on board, they're simply changing the rules to try to make it, oh, well, okay, so we have these subpar officials and these subpar video reviewers and... We're just going to make the rules easier for them to enforce. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. 
look in the content. When you talk about like personal fouls, who better to dish out those on the Bills than Jerry Hughes? All I can say, <laughs> all I can say is fuck El Riveron to hell with this rule change. Okay, I, I am not, I'm not in agreement with it. Mark my words, there is going to come a game this coming season, 2018 where a Bills player is ejected for doing something that we don't deem as a flagrant abuse of the rules. And it won't come from the field. It'll it'll come from somewhere off in another state, over the telephone. And New York. Leave, and it'll leave Bills fans everywhere pissed off. But it's going to leave us with nothing but some faceless entity to blame for it. And I feel like I've already had enough of that in terms of football for one lifetime. That's it, Chris. I can't take anymore. <sighs> Shifting gears. The Bills roster is still taking shape. I mean, when you take a look at the free agent market, it's obviously cooled a little bit. But that doesn't mean that teams still aren't digging to kind of tweak and upgrade the rosters. The Bills' own free agent class has finally started making the rounds. I mean, no, no one that we were losing this offseason was a priority free agent for another team. You know, we lost we lost uh, Stephon Gilmore in the first couple days of free agency last year. That's the first time that's happened to the Bills in a long time. I mean, now we're, we're here a different year. We're talking about marginal players at best. I mean, wide, re- wide receiver Jordan Matthews. That made headlines because he visited with the Packers, and they recently cut Jordy Nelson. Quarterback E.J. Gaines signs a contract with the Cleveland Browns, and Sharice Wright found a gig with the Raiders. And wide receiver Deontay Thompson turned down an offer from the Bills in order to sign with Dallas. I mean, I don't know what that, any of that means, except for this. Trust that changes are going to continue coming for this Bills roster. I mean, as of this recording today, who wait? Who thought? Who thought that EJ Gaines would be back when we signed Vontae Davis? No, I didn't. Exactly. No, and, and, and not surprising. The, and he when went you look to, at the contract he signed, I, I'm not surprised either. He's not worth a lot, but the Bills value availability more than hey, are you some? When you're here, you're great, but you might miss six games, and those six games might cost us the playoffs. I can't invest in you as a starter. Yeah, go miss I understand the, that. Yeah, go miss those games on the other side of the fucking lake. What I'll say is that as of this recording, we currently have more running backs on the roster than we do cornerbacks. And there still isn't anyone on the roster that I would trust as a starting middle linebacker as of week one tomorrow. And our defensive tackle group only has three guys who have taken an NFL snap. There are going to be more free agent visits to come, so everyone needs to calm down. I mean, we we just recently visited with cornerback Philip Gaines. The guy, four seasons with Kansas City, and last year he was Pro Football Focus's third worst rated cornerback out of 122 qualifying candidates. I mean, that's not exactly an inspiring depth option, but at the same time, he's got a lot of athleticism. His athleticism is off the charts which is why he was a third-round draft pick by Kansas City. Their fans hate this guy. But a lot has been said about how he could be better suited to playing in a zone scheme than a man-press scheme. 
and thus he could come in here cheap and provide us with talented depth. At the same time, you look at the middle linebacker market. We have recently met with three middle linebacker candidates. All uh, Kevin Minter, Carlos Dansby, and Will Compton. I'd say right now, Dansby would be a great signing seven years ago. <sighs> I was going to say, Jesus Christ. I mean, with Dansby, he'd be a good signing if we had a fucking time machine and could go back to 2013 when he had six and a half sacks, 114 tackles, and 14 defended passes. At this point... He's an old man who is in no way, shape, or form trusted to hold down the middle of a the middle of a four three defense as a starting middle linebacker. He's not. He's he's a slightly better Brandon Spikes at this point in his career. Now, on the other hand, Will Compton. Compton probably represents the most athletic of the three options, but he's only been a starter for one year in his career. The guy's got special teams experience, though, and that, Chris, in my mind, leads me to believe that the Bills are probably leaning towards him. Because even if he doesn't land the job as, hey, this is our starting linebacker, we don't draft a guy, we just go into week one with him as our starter. According to what, I mean, I've just been reading around, Jacob, I don't want to butcher his last name, Chemiker, from Fansided. He thinks he's a, he's a Redskins beat reporter. He thinks the, that Buffalo represents the best fit for Will Compton. Because it, while his tackling isn't top-notch, his range and athleticism makes him a three-down starter if you can put him behind a strong defensive line. That's what Buffalo just built, signing Kyle Williams and Startolotolele. Latulale. So they can, Mario's going to beat the shit out of you now here's, for the next five years Here's over the thing that. I like about Will Compton. You can sign him, and even if he doesn't, let's say you draft uh, you know, a top-tier starting linebacker, you can still have this guy on your roster as not only valuable middle linebacker depth, but also, hey, he can play special teams because he's done it his whole career. That's a solid get. And the last guy is Kevin Minter, who honestly, he's experienced as a starter, but he's never had any real success to this point in his career. And he's coming, he's fresh off a trip to the IR. He never lived up to his second round status, kind of like Kiko Alonso, and has a depressed market because of his down year in Cincy. Ultimately, I'd, I'd be okay with a Minter signing, but I'm not going to exactly do a backflip. That's, it's just, it is what it is. Well, didn't he go to LSU? Reed talked him up on our show. He did. He liked Kevin Minter, but guess what? Obviously, because he went to just, LSU. He's just a dude. Now, there's going to be more moves coming, and I'll forecast this for you guys. Wide receiver position is something to keep an eye on because there's a lot of talented young depth out there that just because of the draft coming, teams have kind of made their early moves. Now there's a freeze on the market, and they're going to wait and see how the draft falls. And then free agency is going to start moving again. I expect the Bills to be involved in that second wave of free agency. I don't see them drafting wide receivers. I just don't. At the same time, defensive tackles. Can we put a Seagrams on that? Yes. Seagrams. Bills don't draft a wide receiver in the first four rounds. Oh, no, 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 no. Ah, no. See? You try to cover your ass. You just said that you don't think they would draft one, so you put it on the whole draft. Fine. Don't, don't die. Don't, Fine. Don't try to mark it down to the first four rounds, you All right, asshole, you for dick. your sake, since you've lost so many to me this year, I'll give it to you. 
Secondly, defensive tackle. Right now, we only have three defensive tackles on the roster that have NFL experience. Some guy named Hatley is our fourth defensive tackle. He is not going to be on this roster come you know September. So the question is, what do you do? What do you do to flesh out that position heading into training camp? I think the Bills are confident they can land a depth a, a depth contributor in the draft, and then they want to see how the free agent market plays out after the draft in that second wave. There's a lot of guys whose agents probably aren't willing to sign a contract right now because they want they want to maximize their clients' value. They want to they they know their guys are fit for a certain scheme. They know like Quinton Dial, a guy like Quinton Dial only really played in the three four. Okay, so he's limited as to where he can go. So since nobody's called him, he's going to take all of his offers off. He's going to walk away from the table for now. After the draft, he'll come back to all these teams who were probably angling for a D-tackle in the draft and didn't get one, and he'll say, look, I'm still a versatile player for you. And that's how that's going to work. It's going to be something very much worth looking into because our roster is going to change so much between today and the start of the 2018 season. All right, folks, and with that in mind, as we talk about how the roster has kind of taken shape and changed over the course of the last few weeks, we have a very special guest on tonight to, to kind of talk about that topic with us. Guys, joining us live from traffic in Chicago, we have Lars from the Bills and Beers podcast. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. <laughs> now, what is the stretch of highway that you're Nick? It's an eight-lane highway, pretty much dead stop right now, and... Uh, I'm flanked right now by a visible to the projects that surround them, so it's a view. It's a gorgeous view from where I'm sitting right now. Look I can't that. actually. He's got great company. He's got great vistas to purvey. Life is good for Lars. Now, That's right. first and foremost, the most important question of the day, how is Miss Cast? So I, I got to get the update on that, but um, hopefully you guys will be able to connect a little bit if you can call in during your um, destination wedding on draft night. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I'm telling you, I will be highly available because I'm pretty sure my fiance will want nothing to do with me. Then that, I was I, you know, I was actually at a um, I was at a uh, re- rehearsal dinner the night we drafted E.J. Manuel. Oh, my God. I've never yeah. I, I was at a bar and I've never heard the air come out of a room so fast. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the theater where Lincoln got shot didn't go dead as quickly as the bar right. I was in when E.J. Manuel got drafted. It was awful. Yeah, when you look when you look back on it, that was such a bizarre draft, though. I mean, it, it, not just from a Bills standpoint, but I, I think like twelve of the top fifteen players taken that year aren't in the league anymore. <laughs> it's incredible. It's just well, what a what a terrible year to try to pick a quarterback. Yeah, and they went for it. So I got to ask, with your podcast, now you guys don't have a weekly format outside of the season the way we do. So for our listeners who might be interested in checking out your show, what do you guys have planned for this offseason? I know you just recently did a podcast where you kind of talked about you know free agency pickups and things of that nature. What else do you guys have coming down the pipeline for the rest of the offseason? Yeah, we'll be doing a show draft night. Um probably right after the first round ends, just so we know that the bills are done for the night. Uh, because I imagine there's going to be a lot to talk about that night or, um, you know, depending on what happens, because something big's going to happen or something's not going to happen. And either way, that's going to be a, a topic of interest for most bills fans. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, we'll probably maybe get together over the summer once around training camp. Then again, during the preseason and then weekly, once the season gets going. 
guys, if you haven't already, Bills and Beers podcast, you got to go over and check it out. Now, there's there's two topics that I guess I, I, I've just been burning to to kind of talk about slash fight with you over. So bring it. first and foremost, and I know you're not afraid. I know you're not afraid to argue, which is I love this because Chris, you, I end up winning all of my most of my football arguments with Chris. So. Chris is scowling right now as I say this. So, first and foremost, all of the preseason talk about tanking last season. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, where did you stand on the concept? I thought it was pretty clear that they weren't tanking. Um, I, I didn't really have an opinion on it, but I, I, I just want them to go, look, if they were, if it was clear that they were tanking, then fine, great, let's do it. Let's tank and let's, and let's go after it. But it wasn't very clear to me that they were tanking. It seemed that they were, they were still trying to win ball games. Um, and I know why you're asking me this. So I, I will say though, that that's, that's not a totally accurate depiction of, of my attitude on this, which is to say there are many times during the season last year on our podcast that we very regrettably talked about the fact that the bills were pulling out some squeakers all season long, and every time we did, it was like, okay, well, I thought the plan was to get a quarterback in 2018, <laughs> and it's cool that we're winning these games, and it's cool that Andy Dalton made a miracle play on fourth and forever, and the drought's over, but we were really close to having two really great draft picks, and now we kind of don't, and we have to do a lot of work. And now we look at the position they're in, even after getting to 12, there's probably five teams between them at 12 and 22 who want a quarterback who could leapfrog us. There's no less than three teams in front of us between one and 12. They also want a quarterback. So we're not exactly in a position right now to have the, the, the pick of the litter. Now, I, I also don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because I think each one of these quarterbacks is compromised in some way. It seems that everybody's got like their great butt. And what it all comes down to, do we trust this regime to scout and find the right guy? And if he's there, do you go all in on him? And I do. But I don't necessarily know for sure that that quarterback's there. So um, in hindsight, you can look back and say, great, it was awesome. We killed the drought. We had a winning season, did a lot of great things in Coach McDermott's first year. But at the same time, you're looking at it like, you can't tell me that this was the plan. This this is not what they set out to do. Well, sorry. <laughs> I, I, and now it sounds like I'm, I'm contradicting myself. They didn't <laughs> plan to tank, but they also didn't plan to make the playoffs. So they were out to win ball games. But, I mean, geez, Louise, the way we won some of those games with Hauschka making field goals from 60 yards out and, like, the OPI against Mm -hmm. Indianapolis in the snow. (laughs) I mean, that was the difference between us breaking the drought and not. And it ultimately was the difference between, like, drafting at 21 and at 11, which is a big difference. So And and so knowing this, now I had to to endure. Now, see, I'm of the the mindset – they, this is the NFL. You win. I mean, as a fan, I can't, you know, I can't root for a loss. There's certain things I can't root for. I right. can't. I'm physically not capable of rooting for a Bills loss, and I am physically incapable of rooting for a Patriots win, even when it's a good thing for me. I mean, I found that out the year that Rex Ryan played the Patriots in the playoffs. Me and my ex-girlfriend <laughs> made a pact before the game that we hated Rex Ryan. We spent all day talking about it. And okay, these Patriots are going to kick his head in. And it's going to be great. We're going to watch it. We're going to celebrate Rex Ryan losing. And the moment the first the, – the Jets kicked off and they stapled the guy who decided to bring the ball out of the end zone. The Jets did. 
and I cheered. I jumped off the couch because I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm jumping ship at kickoff. I cannot physically root for the Patriots. In the same way, I can't root for a Bills loss ever. So, no, I, I, and I can't either. I mean, we only get – I mean, we got 17 games this year, but we normally only get 16 games. you got to wait nine months in between them. So, no, of course. Like, there's there's so much – there's such precious little time to just sit and enjoy it. So, knowing that, that you want them to win. Chris spent the entire offseason and most of the regular season battling me tooth and nail over the fact that we should be tanking. We shouldn't be cheering that we lost these games. Sometimes he was downright angry that we won. Chris, do you want to try to defend this position? Not really. Well, I just want a quarterback. That's Quarterback's the only position that's going to mask your deficiencies elsewhere. So I still think I would trade whatever it takes to get up into the top five to get a quarterback this year and that could set us up. If we hit on him, because I don't know if we can hit on a quarterback. If we hit on a quarterback, we're good for the next 12 to 15 years. So with that being said, the last thing i got to ask in this until, you know, before we move on on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did you enjoy the playoff burn? I mean, the drought is dead. So even that you know, that part, that shrewd part of you that wants that quarterback and wants to say, look, life would be so easy if we lost. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much did you enjoy knowing that the drought is officially over? Yeah, it's definitely n- nice to not have that punchline at our expense any longer. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like the seven days between New Year's Eve and the, the day that we burned – three whole points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I mean, it was awesome. Like listening to the stories of people caravanning down to Jacksonville and all the people who are calling into WGR and losing their minds and all the Twitter videos and everything. Like it was, it was great. It was, it was, it was completely incredible for those seven days. And then, you know, Tyrod Taylor put up three points against the Jags and it's like, Oh, cool. That that's what all that for all that. Okay, cool. Thanks Tyrod. So, yeah, we were real sad to see him go when the Browns took him. Right. Oh, my God, we talked about it. The fact that they got what is a glorified second-round pick for that guy, I mean, I swear, Unbelievable. I swear Unbelievable. to God, I'm telling you, Bean is a killer. He's a stone-cold killer. That guy is cold as ice. He, I, there's something. I, so, are, well, are, so, are the Browns going to go in opening day with him as a starter? Is he going to start for the Browns in week one? Our listener, Jason Hicksonball, actually has a bet. With, with me. With Chris. Yeah, we now, made a bet. Jason thinks uh, Tyrod's going to start next season. I don't think he'll start anywhere. If Tyrod does, Chris has to drink a Seagram's, and if Jason loses, he has to drink prune juice since he can't have alcohol. It's actually <laughs> really funny. Now, I, I'm actually I'm actually going to be watching their, their like camp battle really, really closely, no matter what they do at the quarterback position. Yeah, I got I to gotta bet with some wise-ass on Twitter – um, that if Tyrod starts four games or more um, and averages more than 220 yards per game, I will I will mail him twenty dollars to buy the nicest six pack he can find. That is, you know uh, what, and you know what, you're a man of your word. I look forward to seeing how that plays out as well. There's sir. no way that's gonna happen. <laughs> there's no if he starts more than four games, there's no chance he's gonna average 220 yards or more per game. That's not gonna happen. I don't even think he'll get to 220 yards across uh, totaling his four games. Am I <laughs> well, the question would be, who's his left tackle? You know what I mean? Joe Thomas is like, okay, fine, Tyrod Taylor, but I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Guess, so Joe now Thomas Tyrod had t- all those wonderful things to say about Hugh Jackson and Tyrod Taylor, decided it wasn't, wasn't was too much for him. <laughs> and then took a look around. So, also, hold on, time out, time out. I, quick, quick live update from The Strangler. Uh, the guy in the lane next to me just opened his door and puked. 
<laughs> oh, oh, Chicago. I, I see a lot of things on this drive. I've never seen that before, gentlemen. So this is history hilarious. Here. Folks, for anybody who wants to diss Buffalo about being a dysfunctional place, every city has its moments. And right now, oh, yeah. Lars and the Strangler are having theirs. So speaking of left tackles and how mm-hmm. it changes things, the reason that you, the, the main reason you're here tonight. Now, <laughs> I, I, this is it. Last week, I took you to task on our podcast, and you, I guess I, I had a feeling, or at least I had an idea of what I thought your argument was. In terms of early on in the season, you and I went back and forth. We traded a lot of barbs via social media about, so yes. because I'm a believer in fair radio, <laughs> I'm not going to beat anybody up and not give them a chance to you know, defend them. It's sure. any worse than I already do. I wanted and thought I had a handle on it, but I also um, Jason Peters had just gone down in Philly, and everybody knew the Giants were looking for left tackle and, and beat up, but then had and this game in the Buccaneers game, and you have to keep in mind this was all said without the benefit of hindsight. So now we can look back and say, well, we got it, we got we moved right. Say was it we we won after that, and so, now, so at, well, at, at at his health line passed when we knew the. Hungry to deal him, and then we just set him on the wow. He was the most expensive player on our roster. And so now, in that moment, though, I heard with you, and I stated that you do not have the soundbite me and Nate Gear season because they realize that what you do is buy his lowest point of value. You're trying to sell it. It's like I said, third round pick. I he's a guy who can go win 50-50 balls. We I think that we stole him at a low point in his value. Now knowing now that his value. Uh, up to the 12th pick in the draft, that means we probably could have dealt him for a second or third over. And I think, and I think everybody would have been okay with that, especially since he didn't play another snap for the rest of the season. So if you want to talk about the low point of his value, well, his value evidently was as high as a first round pick, which means his value could have been as low as a second or third round pick, which would have been at the time perceived as great value for the bills. All right. Okay. Chris, do you have the crow drop ready? If so, you should get it. This is what I'm going to say to you about all of this. I'm going to apologize to you. Wow. Wow. I'm going to apologize because in my mind, I guess my feeling on the thing was that if I'm a GM and I see this, especially if I'm, you know, hey, I'm Scott, my team, I'm the Eagles, and I just lost Jason Peters. Well, here's a tackle who's been banged up. I don't exactly know what I'm getting. I don't know whether that player is going to end up on the IR by the end of the season. What I do know is the Bills didn't trust him enough to start him until this point in the season and really start. You know what I mean? Like there was that gap there. So when I, I'm looking at a player you, again, on an injury short season. I know I said like don't don't use the benefit of hindsight here, but and I'm using right. it in my argument to say like he then did go on IR <laughs> and yet he still got us a first round pick. So you got to think that his value when he was playing and being productive well, would have still been Well, it's a swap of a first-round pick, though. So his value, okay, his value on its own may not have been a second-round pick. His value okay, so, combined are, with right, a first-round pick they, they, and a switch they, may have been enough to get the deal done. Which, but, but to your credit, in my mind, Cordy Glenn at that point, I did not see us, and I think I said this to you, I didn't see him getting anything more than a fifth. A fifth round or a sixth round conditional pick, based on the number of games he plays, 
where he starts. So his injury. Fence, his in, his injury. If he was, if he, if we were to trade him and he went on IR, the team receiving him taking on that cap. There's no look at Marcel Darius. We got a fifth round pick for sixteen million dollars in cap space. Cordy Glenn's contract was pretty equivalent to that. So, in my opinion, I thought that he was worth no more than Marcel Darius. Point blank and period. Especially being injured. Because at least Marcel was Marcel was somewhat productive and he was healthy. In hindsight, I, I, I undervalued the player. And you're correct. If we had traded him at the deadline and netted a second round pick, I would have been ecstatic. The world would have been happy with it. And it's clear that their value was more than a fifth round draft pick because otherwise the trade to 12 wouldn't have happened. You don't get that for just a swap of picks. And a, this guy is a he's a starting left tackle in the NFL. So I apologize to you for beating you up and raking you over the coals because ultimately you didn't quite deserve that. And Chris, I'm ready to get a healthy, healthy helping of crow here. You're a good man. You're a much bigger man than myself. And I also say, like, this was also, from my perspective, made a, a little less of a, um, a difficult issue by the fact that Deion Dawkins was playing just fine. And I, and I, I know that you were leaning on, like, well, you don't, you, don't get rid of, you don't get rid of a tackle. But Deion Dawkins, in my opinion at the time, made him a little more expendable. So apparently that's, that's how they feel now. Well, that's what makes me feel like more right of an tackle, ass. But. That's what makes me feel like more of an ass is that I banged that drum. Ah, you don't get rid of left tackles. And then we got rid of a left tackle. I was like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. We did the thing that I said that you don't do. Yeah, cherish this, <laughs> cherish this apology from Drew. He don't even apologize to his fiance. I love it. <laughs> That's going to have to change, but I don't know when the wedding day is, but you, you better get used to that. Oh, it's not going to start until well after the draft, my my friend. June 9th. So, June 9th. I, no, no, that's the wedding. Yeah, the wedding's June 9th, but uh, April, April what, what is the first day of the draft? April 26th. I am going to be on a beach in Jamaica, but Lars, I'm going to make an effort to call into your show. I'm going to be awesome. live broadcasting the my viewing of the draft. And I'm going to be flying solo that night because God knows she doesn't want any part of me watching. Yeah, and you'll be in a speedo, so everyone will see your nugget pouch. <laughs> I told I told her if things start going south, I'm putting on a speedo, and everyone needs to stay the hell away from me. Lars, what are the, what do you guys got coming up? I know you said that you're going to do a show in a few weeks after the. Is it going to be post draft draft night? Do you guys have anything yeah, else planned? It'll be available like like it'll be available in the middle of the night on Thursday night of the draft because we'll. We'll record as soon as the first round ends, and then I'll, I'll get it up there. So when you're heading to work on Friday morning, you can toggle back and forth between WGR and our podcast. D- don't don't bother checking WGR. Just just go <laughs> listen to the Bills and Beers podcast. All right, guys. So I don't I don't have the privilege of getting it on my dial, but I, I usually just go to the on demand section unless Sal Capaccio is listed in the menu. I I, I generally just pass anyways. <laughs> you're a smart man, Lars. Hey, thanks for joining us. We very much appreciate it. Love to come on, guys. Keep up the great work. We'll talk soon. And now, folks, the reason that we are all here today. The offensive and defensive line installment of the Rockpile Report's 2018 draft series, I'd like to think. Now, when I watch the game of football, it gets done. My eyes are just kind of fixated on the trenches first and foremost. Because you got them long gorilla arms. (laughs) Well, no. And I played offensive line as a kid. I understand the mechanics of line play. And to me, that's where a lot of plays begin and end. So 
it makes sense that on every play, that's where my eyes are glued. When I'm at a game on Sunday in the stadium, I'm watching the lines because I want to see where pressure's coming from, how the quarterback's reacting to it, who's doing what, who's sliding their feet. I mean, it's incredible because that is what dictates the course of play for most of the game. So given that, it's one of the most important parts of a, a football team is how do you play in the trenches? And I know that that's a trope that gets, you know, people trump it out there all the time, but it's true. So given that, this is an integral part of the draft, especially when you look at how the Bills are currently constructed. And to help us walk through this, we've got a guest tonight, Russell Brown from CoverOne.net. Russ, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, fellas. How you guys doing? Not too bad. Yeah, we're doing great. You came highly recommended from uh, Eric Turner. I don't know why he's doing that. I'm going to let everybody down, but I appreciate him throwing his <laughs> good work. And he's humble. So first and foremost, you, you, I guess, is it fair to say that you are now running the CoverOne.net podcast? Uh, yes, Cover One, the podcast. That is um, my bread and butter, I guess, as of now. But uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some rebranding on the podcast. Uh, Cover One, the podcast will change to Cover One, uh, the NFL or no Cover One NFL Draft podcast um, with me and Brad Kelly, and then uh, they will be doing one Cover One, the Bills podcast. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to name it, but it's going to have Aaron Quinn, Nate Geary, and Eric Turner on it. So it's going to be a couple of good podcasts coming out on CoverOne.net, and obviously you can catch it all on CoverOne.net. First and foremost, I want to start on the offensive line. On the O-line, the Bills are returning four starters. Deion Dawkins, Richie Incognito, Vlad Dukas, and Jonathan Miller. And, and a- here, here in Buffalo, <laughs> everybody would prefer Vlad Dukas would get lost in the woods. Same. Well, don't get me don't don't get me started about Miller. And I guess we have a pair of depth players with upside if they're playing in a power scheme, which come down to Jonathan Miller and uh, Ryan Groyd. They've added some veteran depth and some competition in the form of uh, what Marshall Newhouse and Russ Bodine. Mm-hmm who should at worst be proven but serviceable backups. That being said, the Bills had a left tackle last season when they drafted Deion Dawkins. And given that this is Bean's first draft, it's really hard for us to kind of parse through how he's going to play things when it comes to ranking just overall talent and what to address and what he doesn't view as being important. I mean... You're talking about a guy who drafted a left a guy to play left tackle when he had a left tackle. And at the same time, we knew Whaley's tendencies. You know, you, you when you're talking about Doug Whaley's pre-draft stuff, he wouldn't draft anybody who wasn't part of his 30 visits. Right. So you kind of had to tell, hey, it's going to be one of these guys. We don't know what to expect with Bean. So given that, I feel like we'd be doing a detriment to not only our listeners, but also ourselves if we didn't talk about What's going on in the offensive line? Because there is a possibility that if they have someone as best player available on their board, and that's where the, their pick happens to fall, there's it's not outside the realm of possibilities that he could be drafted. So having said that, I don't see one happening early. So what can you say about the depth of this offensive line class? The interior offensive line, it's fantastic, in my personal opinion. I, I think it's great. Um, probably the better we've seen it in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and, and with this team, I mean, we, you guys know how many picks they have. I mean, we, you know, you're talking about 
uh, four in the top 56, five in the in the top 65, uh, which is fantastic. And it, when I look at it, I, I selfishly don't want them to trade up, despite even if that means going out and getting you know Josh Rosen, which I would I would like to see him there, but. I would just selfishly want them to stay at 12, see if Allen or Mayfield fall, hoping that it's Mayfield. And let's say you got to move from 12 to 8 or 9, and then you move up and let's say you give up, you know, pick 12 and 56 or 65 to go up three or four spots. Mm -hmm. I can live with that. I don't want to give the Kings ransom to get potentially, you know, in in a position where you don't get your guy. So I, I know Bean's come out and said, you know, we're not going to move up unless we know we're going to get our guy. So I, I get that. But if we're talking offensive tackles, I wouldn't be surprised if at 22, they took an offensive tackle. Maybe Connor Williams is there. Maybe Mike McGlinchey is there. Uh, I think Connor Williams is the best offensive tackle in this class. I think he's a left tackle. I don't believe the the hype of moving him inside. I think he's just, you know, as aggressive as he is, I think his, his pass blocking skill, as far as his kick step, um, and everything else that he does in that regard, I think he's good. He's got a solid punch. Hand placement's good. Uh, just really the only thing that's hurting him was that he was injured. So if you can get him at 12 or if you get him at 22, that's fantastic. Um, but as far as the mid rounds, you know, 53, 56, 65, or even 96, I mean, you're probably talking the best fit. Martinez Rankin, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. Uh, he's like 6'4", 310. And he's, he's a good enough athlete, I think, to play left tackle. He might move over to the right side um, and, and play right tackle. But as far as power run, I think he's your best fit for it. Um, and he's got the athletic ability. He's versatile. So uh, maybe, you know, strength in, in one-on-ones is a little bit, you know, a problem with them. But I think he can manage it because of good technique, staying square, hands inside, doing those things, uh, down blocks, reach blocks. He excels in that. So Rankin's a guy. Um, and then moving on, maybe Jamarco Jones out of Ohio State um, didn't test off the charts. He wasn't well, really. No, you I was going to say Jamarco Jones really didn't make a lot of headlines. And that's the thing. Look, we're going through all these tackle names. I guess the thing for me is that you had a tackle who played the left. And when you look at offensive tackles in the draft, you've got a guy in Deion Dawkins who essentially backed up uh, your former starter and made him expendable. So at this point, now they're going in, and and I'll tell you, Mills, there's a reason that Jordan Mills has not been upgraded. Well, I mean, they, they signed Marshall Newhouse to compete with Jordan Mills. But the right tackle position, I've seen guys drafted in the second and third round who become starters pretty much out of the gate at the right yeah. tackle position because it's it's a different technique. Who was that dude from uh, from uh, Cleveland? Was it Schwartz? Like two or three years Mitchell ago? Schwartz? No, yeah, Mitchell I want, Schwartz. Yeah, Mitchell Schwartz. Yeah, he got drafted in like the second or third round and he was, a, what uh, as Doug Whaley would say, it's starter off the bus. <laughs> Doug Whaley can kiss the fattest part of my ass. So ultimately, when I'm looking at this, I I look at the tackle group, and I guess my question would be to you, if when when you look at this offensive line group as a whole, the Bills probably won't be selecting. I mean, I know you talked about McGlinchey maybe falling to 22, but I I highly doubt that. And even if it does, there's no even because in, in my mind there's still this potential for a massive trade up. So what I'm trying to wrap my head around is. In the second, third, fourth round range, mm-hmm. 
are there any tackles that you think would be, you know, fit a starting right tackle mold out of the box? You know, we draft you, you're going to come in and be a day one starter, kind of like a Mitchell Schwartz. At the right tackle position, I mean, if you had to peg one or two of them, who would you say they'd be? Um, well, Martinez Rankin out of Mississippi State. Yeah. That'd be the guy for sure. I think in the mid rounds, you're probably talking second, probably third round, to be honest. He, he uh, I don't know, he might go in the second round. Uh, but, you know, when you get into that, I think into the second round, we're going to see running backs, cornerbacks, mm-hmm. receivers go. Um, but if, if he's there, definitely, um, you know, like we said, uh, 53, 56, if you spent 56 on him, no harm, no foul, really. Um, and another name would be Brian O'Neill out of Pittsburgh. He's, he's a versatile player, former tight end. Uh, he plays left tackle. He, he lunges a lot. Uh, kick step, not as smooth as you would like. Kind of similar as far as you know, athletic ability to Colton Miller, very athletic in that regard, but Colton Miller is far more superior, but similar athletic ability, um, still kind of figuring out how to play offensive tackle. So I think if you were to move him over to right tackle, it'd be fine because, uh, he used to play right tackle for Pittsburgh. Um, so I think if you, if you got him in, in the third or fourth round, you're getting a really good value pick and you're getting a guy that's probably might not start, you know, off the bus as you will, but he'll, he'll probably start down the line. So I like O'Neal for, for Buffalo or Martinez Rankin. So in now, now flipping inside, you talked about how you were very high on the interior offensive mm-hmm. lineman and you thought that that's where the, the real depth of the class is. This isn't a position that most bills fans thought we'd have to address in 2018. We really didn't. We had Eric Woods signed to a two year contract extension we had a promising backup who could possibly grow into a larger role down the road at left tackle, and we had a starter entrenched. Maybe that guy would move to right tackle. Life was good. You fast forward a few months through the NFL season, and it's just—it's crazy to me how different the landscape looks across our offensive line. So I guess the question is, when you look across the board, there are some players that I have questions on on the interior of the offensive line. Because I don't see us reaching for a tackle. I think they signed Marshall Newhouse to kind of, hey, hedge our bets that no good one falls to us in the draft. But on the interior of the offensive line, you've got a lot of guys with a lot of questions. So given that, I'm going to start my questions here. Billy Price. Before the combine, he was viewed as the best center prospect in the draft. He tears his bicep. But teams are still high on him. Yeah, so no, that, that opinion shouldn't change. Is he, he still should, the top center in the draft? Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And I guess the question is, what do you personally think? How how badly will this injury set his stock back? And where do you see him going in that first, second round? Yeah, I wrote about him, a scouting report in depth uh, with a ton of all 22 film uh, it, breakdowns on there on, on cover1.net. So definitely check it out under Billy Price. Uh, I had a first round grade on him. He was one of actually our highest graded players at the time. Um, I believe he was like the fifth or sixth highest player, um, with the, with the grading sheet. And then obviously we've plucked the numbers in for other players. So he's kind of dropped down a little bit, but he still got the first round grade. Uh, in, and initially I thought it, you know, 21 and 22, if they would have stayed put, which I kind of felt like they weren't going to anyways, but I thought Buffalo at 21, 22 would have been great the value pick for them to, to take him. Um, he's going to fall to the second round where he goes though. I, I don't think he goes beyond, um, you know, pick 64. Mm-hmm. I, I think he stays in, in round two. I would be shocked if he's available in round three. Um, you know, players sometimes 
pe- people think that they're they're going to plummet all the way to you know day three of the draft. I don't think that's <laughs> going to be the case with him. You know, he's a great run blocker. He's aggressive. He operates well in space. He's versatile. He can play you know any of the guard spots, any of the center the, the center position very well. Um, and you know his snap to contact quickness is just. And I don't even know if that's like a real thing. I'm making that up uh, just simply because of I watched him snap the ball and just pull and go out and, and just the contact like it was so fast and I don't think I've seen somebody move that fast um, in, in quite some time at least not that I can remember um, so if he's there in the second round I think you definitely have to take him at 53 or 56 and I would love to see him in Buffalo so so he would be a, a, a good I mean I'm not everybody that listens to our show knows that I'm, I'm not that that smart when it comes to football X's and O's but from what you just said, it seems like Billy Price would be a, a decent fit for what I guess their offensive line is going to a pin and pull scheme. So it seems yeah, like no, he, he would fit in great with that. Yeah, he'd be he'd be a great fit for that. And if you can get him, you know, like let's say, hypothetically speaking, you're moving up from twelve and let's say they get to four with Cleveland and I don't I don't see the Giants trading back. Uh Gettleman's never traded back ever as a GM. So them potentially, you know, working out a deal with Bean and Gettleman. Hey, we used to be boys in Carolina. Let's do something. Granted, I did see them, you know, poke jabs at each other in Mobile in the parking lot, and they did say some explicit words to each other. Um, but all, all good. All right, and fun. so they're boys. All right, that's good yeah. to know. See, look, Russ bringing the insider information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm an in, I'm an insider. Uh, no, you know, so you know, definitely. They know each other. We know that, and that's kind of been speculated for quite some time that maybe the Giants and the Bills will go ahead and make a trade. Realistically, I think maybe Cleveland at four would trade back, um, or maybe Indy again at six. But I think getting in front of Denver is, is kind of Buffalo's goal. So the way to do that is is by getting to four. So if they do that, they would probably have to give up 12, 22, let's say 53, and maybe a first uh, next year or a second next year. But that still leaves uh, you your thirds and your second. And that's why I'm so interested in this mid-tier pack of players. Yeah. Because if you th- And that's why I started with Billy Price. Do you think that there's an opportunity? Because if so, he's obviously the standout at center in this class. But with the tearing of the bicep, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like his stock may drop just enough that he could end up in that second-round discussion where if we still have a pick there, we could take him. Yeah, he'll if he's there, you got to take him. And if, like I said, if they got rid of you know twelve, twenty-two, and fifty-three to get up to four, there they take either you know Josh Rosen or Josh Allen, and or maybe even Baker Mayfield, uh, just to ensure that they get their guy. If they do that, um, you still sit there at fifty-six and sixty-five. Those picks aren't that far apart. You know they're nine picks away from each other. But at fifty-six, if let's say you went a quarterback at at four. And then at 56, you went Billy Price. That's a home run, in my opinion, because you're getting a top 25 player in the draft at 56. And that makes yeah. it, that makes us like the Green Bay or Indianapolis <coughs> of centers, because Green Bay goes from Favre to Rodgers, and Indianapolis goes from uh, Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. We're that for centers. We could go from Eric Wood to Billy Price. Ooh. <laughs> that's a great now, that's a great comp. Now, now let me ask you. One of our listeners asked Chris, you know, it was the intro to our show. We were talking about it. Yeah, been... we have a listener in England that requested uh, Will Hernandez out of UTEP. This is the question at guard. The Bills have questions. I mean, Richie Incognito, he's getting older. He's not a spring chicken, and he just agreed to a pay cut just to not be released from the team. So having said that, 
Will Hernandez, guard out of UTEP. Mike Mayock in our intro talked about how he's been compared to Richie Incognito with his physical playing style, the nastiness that he finishes his blocks with. Mauler in the run game. What can you tell us about him, and where do you project him to end up in the draft? I've got a second-round grade on him. I think he'll go in round two. Um, I would be shocked if he was available in round three uh, because he's a phone booth type of player. That's you know kind of the, the scouting term that people love to use for a guy. One that's, on one, he'll know, fist fight not, you to death if you may. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and when he was at the Senior Bowl, he measured in apparently at 340 pounds, wow. and we're standing on the sidelines, and it was okay. He's every bit of 340 pounds. Then we get to the combine, and he's 327 pounds. So he cut 13 pounds, and he ran a 51540. Wow. You know, and, and and three cone drill, 20 yard shuttle, those numbers never really matter too much. Obviously, if the the guy's running in incredible numbers, then you are like, okay, wow. But at you know 327 pounds, I'm not expecting him to run a you know a six Point five no. second three cone drill, but but he ran you know a seven five nine, which is you know puts him in the seventy eight percentile um, of all you know players in the scouting. So combine. he's an explosive so athlete, and he's a big man. He's physical, and he plays with a yeah, nastiness it, to him. Yeah, thirty seven reps in the bench. So if they got him in the second round, that'd be a great addition as well. Um, I think if you had you know Incognito and Hernandez at left guard, right guard. Best of luck to the interior uh, d- defense alignment that are trying to, to rush that because <laughs> I don't think you're getting by it. Now, one of my most, me personally, one of the guys I'm, I was most interested in, Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia. Love I him. watch a ton of SEC football. I'm an Alabama fan. Wynn was a solid run blocker and a pass protector for the Bulldogs this season. I mean, he paved the way for Chubb and Michelle while also keeping Fromm upright. I mean that that that's a look at how dynamic that offense was. He's been talked about as having the ability to play almost any offensive line position. But at the same time, people note that his lack of height and arm length, he should fit best as an interior lineman. I mean, what do you think of him? I mean, they say he can play tackle, center, or guard. Where do you see his best fit? And what round do we, you think he we, ends up being taken in? We got videos from Turner. Yeah, from the from senior, Turner at the Senior, senior Bowl. Bowl where he, owning. He, owning people. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw the same stuff at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, no, I mean, I was standing right next to the guy. Uh, he's a right guard, in my personal opinion. That's where he excelled the most in Mobile. Um, you know, he measured in at 6'2", uh, just, just under 6'3", 313 pounds, Um Arms were at 33 and 3 eighths, uh, so not bad. But people saying that he's a left tackle, I'm sorry. You're like, I get it. That's what he played. Give him an opportunity there. Um, like last year, I thought Deion Dawkins was going to be a left guard. I thought he was perfect fit for it. He's playing left tackle. He's going to be the franchise left tackle of the Buffalo Bills, pending you know performing well and 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 staying upright. But with Isaiah Wynn, I mean, I think he's a right guard. That lateral quickness, his footwork is fantastic his punch is great his burst off the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. um he was by far one of the best players down there and i think he's a first round player i wouldn't be surprised if he was taken in the top 20 um detroit at, at number 20 I, I if they took him i wouldn't even care i wouldn't even like you don't want to see guards taken in the first round hence lincoln tomlinson when the lions took him but I would love to see Isaiah win as a Detroit Lion, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Seattle took him at 18, potentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, m- m- maybe the Cardinals at 15, 
So, so there's I think a lot of teams with needs that could use him to fill a lot of different gaps on their offensive line. He's a very versatile player, and you think the demand for him, that guy is going to be high. Yeah, and, and with how versatile he is, and, and like you said, he's, he's versatile, and with that demand, I, I think he's going to be a, a player that's highly coveted in the draft. I'd be shocked if he was available in uh, in round two of the draft, but no, crazier, thing, crazier things have happened. I was pretty high on Jason Spriggs when he came out of Indiana, and Green Bay got him in, in the second round. So And I got one I sleeper of mine that about. I have to ask you about. One sleeper of mine that I have got to ask you. And that's Bradley Bozeman, center from Alabama. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> Call me a homer, but I like some of the things about Bozeman's game. I mean, I, I, I mean, Russ, I, I watched a ton of him this season, and there was a reason for optimism. I mean, he showed some flashes when he filled in in 2017. 2016 and Ryan Kelly leaving it's like okay he's been groomed behind a good center they wouldn't be Alabama thrives up front so they wouldn't be starting this kid if they didn't think he could ball yeah I physically I'll say this he's got some limitations Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure you know if you've seen him play he's got slow feet and he really doesn't ever get to the second level of a defense on a regular basis that's just not his game no and I think that a lot of that is just poor technique with his initial block. That's my that's my critique of watching a ton of him play. I get angry because I'm like, you know, you could just shed that block and get out there to that linebacker, but you don't. You're just stuck there. Yeah, I wonder if it's like a mental processing thing with him where he just – is it him not wanting to, to excel and get into the second level? I'm, I'm assuming he would want to, but it just seems like there's times where he's supposed to be keying in on a certain block and he misses it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it is because of the limitations athletically. But when he you know he approaches the second level, I thought he did a very poor job at that. And if, yes. it, you know, if there wasn't a one technique or a zero shade right there, it was pretty much, okay, this guy's not – this guy's not going to block anybody unless somebody's <laughs> running right at him, you know? What I do like about his game, though, is that when he does have somebody running right at him, he can keep them upright. He doesn't really get blown backwards. It's one of those that I, I, it's he's, – he's athletically limited enough that he can't get outside. He really struggles to make dynamic plays, but at the same time, I don't see a lot of mistakes from him. And I'm wondering if you think that any of these can be kind of worked through because he's viewed as a late round pick or an undrafted free agent. But well, you know, having with, worked with, well, I'm just looking at in terms of having worked with Brian Dable. Dable yeah. knows what he's getting in this guy. So if they were to take him in the late or late rounds of the draft, if they completely avoid him, I'd understand it because they'd be like, "Oh Jesus, get me away from this guy." <laughs> but having said that, I'm just curious to. think hear what you thought about him well yeah like i mean like we said getting to the second level um very very just slow not getting there fast enough slow feet um i i personally i don't know if i'd be drafting him i saw him in mobile a little bit um and i was not that impressed with him i thought you know okay he's a little bit of a mauler guys there you know like i said one technique zero shade guys right there he does okay but you know he anchors late um, lower body strength, he got the thick build for it. I mean, the guy's like 315, 320 pounds, but it, it's just really, there's no drive. There's no, um, yeah, you, you have a guy upright and you've got, you know, the length to play the position, but there's, there's no, there's no 
leg drive. There's no mm-hmm. getting the guy into the ground. Um, and I really wonder, you know, outside of a down block, can he reach block? Can he pull? I mean, I, Billy Price is pulling as a center. He's going to trap you. Can Bozeman do that? I don't know. And if he plays against a guy like Mo Hurst, who's a, a very, very good, uh, in my opinion, top 10 talent in this class, mm-hmm. and he, you know, you're talking about a guy that's you know, probably going to play a one technique or a three technique mm-hmm. somewhere, is he going to be able to trap a guy with that versatility, a guy with that quickness? I don't know. Um, so if, if, you, if you put it in Buffalo's terms, if they're sitting there at 173 and they've addressed a ton of needs and got their quarterback and done everything that they needed to do, if Bozeman's there, okay, okay sure, take him, get him familiar with, with Dabble and all those things, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was an undrafted kid. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to, you know. No, hey, no, no, listen, it happens. Spirits. Now, I'm switching sides of the ball. As far as drafting along the defensive lines go, that's where things really get interesting for me. I mean, we'll start at defensive end because kind of like offensive tackle, this seems like something that the just not in the team's draft wheelhouse. I mean, our current defensive end position features a lot of familiar faces. I'm looking at the list right now. Out of the eight defensive ends on the roster, there's only two of them. Free agent acquisition Trent Murphy and this mercurial kind of mysterious Owa, Owa, whatever the hell your last name is. (laughs) Former Giants third round pick. Hello, I've never heard of you before. It's, he's one of the last guys. I, I can't pronounce his last name to save my life, but for whatever reason, these are the only two guys who weren't a part of our roster at the start of training camp last year. They've brought back a ton of old bodies. Marquavius Lewis. They must. He's a big man playing defensive end who could almost arguably play defensive tackle. There's a lot of bodies at the defensive end position right now. So considering the number of them on the roster and the staff's familiarity or financial investment in most of them, it seems like this is the group they're going to go into training camp with. So I don't expect the team to spend a lot of draft capital at that position unless a great player really does fall to them. Given that, I've got to ask the question, just about the class as a whole. When you look at it, from top to bottom, the defensive ends, the pass rushers, the edge setters, anybody who can play any 3-4, what do you think about it in terms of top-end talent to you know just late-round guys who might still be able to contribute? Uh, the, the top of the draft, very, very good. I mean, you got Bradley Chubb, Harold Landry. Those guys, I think, are going to be elite. I've got top 10 grades on them. I would not be surprised to see those guys in Pro Bowls, double-digit sack numbers, um, Bradley Chubb with, you know, 15, 20 tackles for loss on a year uh, with his power to speed game and 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 his bend and things like that. Um, and the the explosiveness out of Harold Landry, absolutely, he's going to win with that. He needs to become more consistent with his hands. Um, he needs to do a little bit of a better job with his bend um, in squeezing things down. There's times where he's playing out of position. You know, he's supposed to maintain his gap on the outside shoulder. He's in rather than squeezing it down, he's crossing the face of the offensive tackle and trying to bounce it back outside to make the tackle. Um, so that's, you know, kind of an issue with him that I've noticed. But I still like him enough that I would take him top 10 because of his explosiveness, the way he flips his hips. Um, and when he puts it all together and he's not playing hurt, he's fantastic. So Landry and Chubb definitely are the top two guys. Marcus Davenport, still very raw. I don't think he knows what 
position he wants to play as far as stand-up edge rusher role or with his hand in the dirt because in Mobile they had him all over the place, but he didn't really flash. He was inconsistent with his hands, playing high, had a nice you know punch, but that was really it. There was no really flipping the hips. There was really no bend. There was not squeezing stuff down. So he's going to be kind of a project. I think he's a little bit raw. I think he's more raw than Ziggy Ansah, and that's his mm-hmm. you know, pro comp. <laughs> I was going to you know, say, everyone con- keeps comparing him to Ziggy Ansah. But Anza, he's – I feel like he was more of an athletic freak. I mean is that Yeah, fair? he was more athletic and – yeah, no, he's, he's more an athletic player. He's, he's an extreme athlete, um, whereas Davenport, he's got the build uh, to stop the run, and, but he doesn't do it consistently enough because he lacks that bend and, and squeezing things down and working his hands because he's playing high and he's leaving his chest plate wide open. So he's a guy that I still think you could draft in the first round. After that, you've got Arden Key. I'll be honest, work ethic issues, motor issues. I question that every time. And I don't, you know, people make up these excuses for players. Oh, he played hurt and, and he, you know, he gained 20 pounds. Well, there's the problem. The guy was playing at 228 pounds. Next thing you know, he's playing at 242 pounds. Uh, and he measured in at I think at 238 pounds, if I remember correctly at the combine. Um, and so, you know, when see, I look to me, at those, though, when I look at that, I see a player who, if you can't play it above, like that was my issue with Trent Murphy, the oh, free agency. Aaron Maiden. And, and my thing is when you can't, when you struggle, I'm sorry, is a four, three defensive end. You are going to struggle. If you're 250 pounds, you're going to have a hard time playing defensive end in a four, three defense. So when I look at a lot of these defensive ends, I don't see anybody really outside of the top few who could really contribute to this class or at least contribute in the next year or two to the Buffalo Bills, which is why I really don't expect it to be drafted. Now, we we find, we re-signed Kyle Williams to a one-year deal, and then we also have um, – we got we just signed star Latulale. I, I think that's exactly how you pronounce it. We're mm-hmm. we're gonna get shit from our listeners for the next five years of mispronouncing his name, and then you also have you have also have Adolphus Washington on the roster, who is not a product of uh, Brandon Bean, and he also had that incident at the water park last year. So you don't really know where he lies with this management group. Uh, what can you say about the defensive tackle class as a whole for this draft? It's fantastic. It's deep. It's everything that you want and more out of a defensive tackle class. I mean, you're talking Vita Vea at the top with, Mar- well, I should say Maurice Hurst at the top with Vita Vea and Taven Bryan. Taven Bryan, a very athletic player, explosive, uh, plays undisciplined at times as far as getting too deep in the backfield and doing those things. Uh, if he can fix that, but with that burst and, and the things that he does um, with the point of attack and flipping his hips and, and bending and, and just pursuing to the football, the high motor of Taven Bryan, I really like him um, as the third best defensive tackle. And then behind him, you know, you talk to Ron Payne. Everybody loves to Ron Payne. Damn um, straight we do. Roll tight. Such a homer. Uh, <laughs> and and you've got, uh, you know, behind that, you've got guys that I really like. Andrew Brown out of Virginia, who I list as a defensive tackle. I think he'd be a perfect fit as a three technique. He played out of position for Virginia as a defensive end in a three, four, uh, constantly lining up in a five technique. So if you play him in a three technique, I think you're getting your, you know, your bang for your buck on him, uh, especially because he ran in, in the fives, uh, with the 40 yard dash, um, at the combine, but he's a, you know, he's an explosive player. His burst was insane in mobile. Um, uh, but he does a really good job 
maintaining his gap, working his hands, bending, um, and squeezing things down as well. So uh, I, I really like him as a, as a three technique at the next level. I think you could probably get him um, relatively in the middle uh, to early part of, of uh, day two. You're probably talking mid-second, early uh, round three. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if I saw him much sooner, uh, and I selfishly would like to see him in the first round somewhere. But also, you've got um, the guy I've been just super high on the last couple of days, uh, and I talked about him on midday 180, was Justin Jones out of NC State. Uh, I think this guy is going to be a real, I, I can't even say a sleeper because I think enough people know about him, and I've been talking about him enough. But Justin Jones is a three technique at 6'2", uh, 308. He is just, he's fantastic. He does everything right. He's a technician. He's not going to be the fastest guy in the room, right? Well, he shouldn't be. He's a three technique at over 300 pounds. But well, here's I mean, the thing. We're guy- used to that though. I mean, you're talking about a team that watched a guy get drafted in the fifth round and become pro. I, I, today I took a look through our defensive tackle drafts over the course of the last decade. Kyle Williams might be the best one we've drafted besides Marcel Darius in the middle of the defensive line. And he was a fifth round draft pick. They took a flyer on a guy late who is, you know, his, he didn't have all the explosive measurables, but what he did have was that he was technically sound and he was a hard worker and he, he became the only, it's like that movie, uh, 10, uh, 10 little Indians. You know, you can draft all the defensive tackles you want and parade them around Kyle Williams, but at the end of the day, there was only one little Indian left sitting on the hill, and it was him. <laughs> I mean, and so now I'm looking at our roster and I'm saying, we landed Star Lodalele, and we've got Kyle Williams, and those guys are both going to be here next season, which gives us a pair of experienced players, pretty much known for their run stopping ability. Outside of that, everything goes to shit. As of today, we literally have half as many defensive tackles as defensive ends on the roster. And the only one with NFL experience is Adolphus Washington. And he's been up and down over the course of his career. So here's my question for you. Some of these guys, we are not going to have a ton of top draft capital to put into the draft. But I've got a couple guys that I guess that I'm... I'm high on, and then I want to know more about the class in the late rounds because I feel like we're going to be have to hope that we can find some guys who can contribute farther on down the draft. First and foremost, my first question to you, R.J. McIntosh out of Miami. He's being touted as one of the highest pri- – when you talk about a five technique or a three technique, he's one of those guys that they talk about as being a uh, upper echelon prospect. What's your feeling on that? I like him. I mean, I, I think the thing that I've seen, I, I watched a lot of him when I was watching Chad Thomas, the defensive event out of Miami. Um, I really wonder where he is as far as strength goes. Uh, I think there's there's things, you know, as far as lower body strength that he looks limited in. Um, he doesn't really have, you know, a whole lot of pass rush moves with them. Um, but there was a lot because he wasn't so much rushing the passer as an interior offense alignment he, or an interior defense alignment. He was more so, you know, stopping the run and doing those things. Um, and, I, and I like that because he reads it well. He, he Mental processing is there. Um, he does a really good job as far as punching and then reading and kind of keeping that head on, you know, outside shoulder, inside shoulder, wherever he may be. Um, he gets skinny as far as, you know, splitting double teams and then the quick get off is definitely a big plus for him. So he's a plus athlete. Um, I think, you know, probably a day three kid, 
probably in that fourth round tier, maybe maybe fifth round if he falls a little bit. Uh, if there's a run on a specific position like the running backs or receivers, because um, I I fully expect there to be a run on, on that specific those oh, two specific sure. positions. I mean, when you're talking about the defensive tackle position, it's deep in this draft, but it's going to happen. There's yeah. going to be the run on the interior lineman, both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And I'm sure that that placement's going to be strategic based on who's in what division and what that team's needs are. The teams drafting stud interior defensive linemen are probably going to see their uh, division opponents drafting stud interior linemen to try to keep up. It's going to be, I, I envision an arms race happening here as far as the interior line goes. Now, one of the players that's curious to me because the Bills have already met with him is Harrison Phillips out of Stanford. I, to me, everyone fears a one-year wonder at quarterback. Phillips hasn't been quite that, but he also hasn't been a steady presence throughout his collegiate career, or at least from what I can tell. But scouts seem to love him. Can you tell me why? Uh, well, you're getting a plus-size guy because he got the, the thick build that you want out of a defensive lineman, especially on the interior. He's strong. He had 42 reps in the bench. He's you know, 6'3", 307. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Kyle Williams when I watched him. Um, and I watched a great deal of him before he went to Mobile and then saw him firsthand. So, you know, there's not the explosiveness that you want as far as the athlete goes. But he ran a 7.28 in his three-cone drill. So his hips, they're not stiff. He does a really good job as far as taking a double team, splitting it, um, or at least, you know, fighting it and dropping right to the ground and creating a pile there, which is very key for defensive tackles to do, and he does a really good job with it. He reads as far as, you know, reach blocks, down blocks. He has a good feel for it, so he can squeeze stuff down. Um, and he, he can penetrate the backfield. He's not the, – the biggest issue is he doesn't really have an arsenal of pass rush moves. Um, it's just more so he relies on his strength, get out of my way, um, and I, I'm going to bury you to the ground. But I think he'd be a really good fit um, for this team, but I just don't know if he's going to be there uh, <laughs> when they want to draft him because I think he's going to probably be a second, maybe at, at, at worst, a third-round pick. Well, the last two guys I want to ask you about, I I feel like they're going to be later-round prospects. Maybe their stock has dropped a little bit since the combine. First and foremost, Maurice Hurst. He's one of the most interesting stories at defensive tackle this offseason. I mean, the f- well, the first thing you got to ask about is what is his health situation? Well, I, I, I feel like he was I feel like he was cleared, and that mm-hmm. should give most scouts, you know, that should give them confidence. Correct. Well, didn't Michigan already have their pro day? Yes. Yeah, he's cleared. He's good. He is cleared and good to go. Now, here's where my concerns start for him. I mean, he was being talked as a first round draft pick. Then at the same time, you go to WalterFootball.com or you go to some of these other draft prep websites, and they have him touted everywhere on the board. And they've got quotes from scouts saying, "Ah, we see him as a late round draft. We see him as a late round prospect, but he'll get overdrafted." That's scary to me. So when I look at what Maurice Hurst out of Michigan is, he seems light for a defensive tackle. I mean, the guy's only 280 pounds and six foot two. So no matter how I, I know the thing that everybody loves about him is the fact that he has a fast get off. They say, oh, when the when the you know it's like a track meet when the ball gets snapped, he's just so fast off the snap. Well, guess what? This is the NFL. This isn't college. You're not going up against a bunch of second tier centers. You're going up against the best of the best. And at only 280 pounds, you know, 285, maybe he can pack on some weight at the NFL level. 
but only six foot two at that weight. I mean, I don't think you can hold up to NFL caliber double teams and just some of the league's better centers. I mean, would you agree with me on that? Uh, for the, I, yeah, I guess for the most part. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a big Mohurst fan, so I, you know he's he's a top he's a top ten player on my board. Um, I think he's fantastic, wow. and I I get the you know the whole undersized type of thing. He measured in at 292, um, 6'1", is, is where he's pretty much officially listed at. And he reminds me a lot of Louis, who also yep. was 6'1", and he was just under 300 pounds, and he was the 12th pick of the draft of the New Orleans Saints. Um, now, has he been, you know, everything that they've wanted? No. Nah, not so much. He's been <laughs> no, fairly, he fairly good. He's and okay, it's not because I you know, call I, great. I, but, you know, with, with Mohurst, that explosiveness is, is fantastic. Uh, the the way he feels for the game, I mean, he can split double teams. He can feel reach blocks and down blocks. Uh, does he does he need to do it more consistently? Yes. There's times where he's getting double teamed or a reach block and he turns his back to mm-hmm. it. I cannot stand when I see players do that. Um, and just thinking about it, I was like gritting my teeth thinking about it. But <laughs> he, he's fast off the ball. That that burst is great. He's going to create uh, as far as a sub package interior rusher. He's going to create. Um, Pressure's on the quarterback. He's going to stop the rush. Um, he, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't take him. Obviously, you think, okay, where's the heart at? How does that check out? I'm assuming, you know, these scans and everything else that he went through is going to be sent to every team across the league. And he might push down outside of the top 10, um, and he might not go until later in the first round. But if he didn't go in the first round, I'm going to be honest, I would be completely shocked, <laughs> and I would hope that one of my teams – trades up and gets him because I, he would be a, a, a steal in round two. And then the last prospect I want to pick your brain on, my personal favorite heading into this draft, at least for the Buffalo Bills, Derek Nottie. Okay, To me personally, I'm, I'm a bargain shopper. Okay, When I come to free agency, I'm looking for bargains. He's one of my favorite prospects in terms of his value. From everything I've read, it just seems like people doubt his overall athleticism and explosion, which is pushing him down draft boards. But at the same time, I've watched a lot, a lot of college football, and in the FSU games I've seen, he stands out time and time and time again. So I guess metrics aside, he's constantly making plays, and a lot of it starts above the shoulders for me. I mean, when you watch him on, I mean, Eric Turner just posted a very good breakdown of Nadi. I brought, I brought the question up to him, and he actually included my tweet in one of his montages. You'll see him time and time again properly diagnose a running play, disengage from his block with an ease that makes it look just, I mean, he just gets away from it. All of a sudden, he's not blocked anymore. And move laterally in a way that, when people talk about him possibly being a fourth or fifth round draft pick, I'm like... I see movement out of this guy that you don't see out of a lot of D tackles. I mean, what's your opinion of his athleticism? Well, it's weird. It's it's because you know, like you look at his his test scores. You know, he ran an eight one five in the three cone drill, which is just awful. Five three eight in the forty yard dash. Now, I don't put a ton of stock into these numbers, but I know. NFL GMs do, and their scouts do, and their coaches do, and these numbers do kind of value where a player is athletically. So it does show, okay, Nadi's not the most gifted player athletically, but at 6'1", 317, is there the undersized as far as the height goes? Absolutely. Same thing that we're going to knock Mo Hurst for, you got to knock Derek Nadi mm-hmm. for, but at 317, yep. 
He's he's a thick build guy. He's got a wide base. He's going to you know sustain his gap, maintain that gap, and he's going to do a good job. I think he's going to be a great two gapper at the next level. And he can stick and shed blocks very well. He plays below pad level, and I think that's the biggest thing about him is athletically. No, he's not there. He's he's not amongst guys like Vita Vea, Taven Bryan, Mo Hurst. But I think as far as the lateral agility, like we talk about, yeah. the footwork there, he's got that. Low pad level, he's got that. The technique is there. So when the technique is there, you can get faster. You can get stronger. Mm-hmm. And he's already strong. I mean, he put up 25 reps in the bench. So I think you can – the things with him, there's a ton of plus upside to him. And I would not – you know, I, I would think third round, fourth round for him is where I would value him. Um, you know, late day two, early day three of the draft – and he would be a guy that just, he's a good football player. He's not athletically gifted. But, you know, mental processing's got to get a little faster. There's times that he's not shedding blocks fast enough. But overall, he's a football player. He'd be a great fit in Buffalo just because he's a football player. You know what I mean? Well, and that's it. No, I was going to say, to quote uh, the GM of the Browns, Dorsey, we need football players. And I'll tell you, at a position that only has three three guys with NFL experience, you know, and the fact that they're not moving into, we talked a little bit earlier on the show about how the market is cooled right now in free agency. There's a ton of defensive tackle talent, and the Bills haven't hosted any of it. Why? I think the plan is to try to find some late steals in this draft. That's why we talk about all this. Russ, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, where, Russ, where can we find your work? I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, at Russ NFL Draft on Twitter uh, is where you can find me. Um, ton of bad takes, bad gift usage there. I just <laughs> suck at using them at four times. Um, but yeah, there's bad takes there. There's film breakdowns as much as I possibly can. Um, links to the articles, me standing up for my co-hosts when they're getting bashed by other, other guys on there. Um, and then obviously cover one.net, check it out all the time. Uh, just recently wrote some draft options for the New York jets. Um, which is obviously a big rival for us in the Buffalo Bills. but uh, You should take that and bury it (laughs) because guess what? Their GM might actually crib off of you and just scrap his original plan. God knows McKagan's a bum. I hope he does. I mean, it's all quarterbacks anyways. But, uh, yeah, other than that, yeah, cover1.net, at Russ NFL Draft. Two guests. We haven't had two guests in a while. We had Lars from Bills and Beers. He's on Twitter, at Bills and Beers. And then we cover the offensive line, defensive line with Russ Brown. He's at Russ NFL Draft on Twitter. Make sure you follow both of those people. Drew, I think we got a, a good handle on what's available in the draft tonight on the offensive and defensive line. I think so, too. And Chris, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of this draft plays out. It, it is because we, we, have, we have so many picks are we going to trade? We won't know until the end of April if Nobody's we're going to do know. that. Upcoming this next month, we have Quarterback Central. It's going to be Quarterback Central over here at the Rock Power Report because Chris yeah, is we got convinced two. that we're going Very to be drafting convinced. a quarterback. And he's he's just chomping at the bit to say that it's what? Allen? I would be fine with Josh oh, Allen. Oh, my God. I'll yeah. put a beer in each one of my hands and I'll throw myself down your stairs. Mark my words. Okay, well, it's only... That's a bet. That's not even a Seagram's bet. I will throw myself down your stairs. Okay. Well, that's the bet. Yeah, okay. Well, that's only that's only three stairs. To give, I guess to get... <laughs> it's, only I, it's only three stairs. stairs. I, I guess to give everybody an outline of our show over the next couple weeks, next week we're going we're gonna to talk about the linebackers in the draft, and then after that we'll get into the quarterbacks 
in the draft over two shows. We're going to so, have a lot of guests. It's oh, going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Stick around for it. Guys, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pop Report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.